Well, Joanne, thank you so much for agreeing to do our podcast. I, uh, I've been diving off into the carnivore world and uh, been listening to a bunch of podcasts. Uh, Dr. Sean Baker, the Carnivore MD, all those, uh, you know, the, the pioneers, I guess. And wanting to learn more, we actually talked to a, a vegan um, last week, a vegan chef. What's her name? Chef. She goes by Chef, chef Bay. And it was just as, as, as I was getting into um, the benefits of carnivore. And she said some stuff that I didn't have any uh, good data or good facts in. So now I just want to learn more uh, as much as mm-hmm. I possibly can. Cause she had, she's been vegan for, for 12 years or something. Yeah. So she had some really good points that she was making and I mean, I'm an idiot. I didn't know anything. I couldn't really, ex- I couldn't really articulate it very well. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from all the best people that I possibly can. And the best way to learn is to talk to them. So I found your podcast on Spotify and it's amazing, by the way, you're doing a great you. job. You're doing a, <laughs> a fabulous job. So can you explain, um, or could you introduce yourself and give us a background on, I mean, how you got into the carnivore world? Yes. I think my, my story is a good place to start because I think a lot of people are surprised that before I became carnivore, I had totally bought into the plant-based, um, viewpoint. And most of what I was eating was raw kale salads and raw veggies and, uh, drinking all the kale juice, the, the green juice. And I very much believed that plants were the healthiest thing that we can eat. And so I really understand where people are coming from. Um, if they have those beliefs, I kind of accidentally became a carnivore where my body basically forced me to really take a look at my beliefs. There was a lot of cognitive dissonance happening between the healing that was happening in my body. So basically when I decided to do carnivore, like I said, it's very plant-based. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of health problems at the time, kind of the most urgent one being that I was having very severe hemorrhoidal, hemorrhoidal bleeding, Mm. um, to the point where it was going against medical advice that I didn't have surgery. I mean, it looked like I was menstruating, but I wasn't Uh, just a little vivid detail. Um, and the reason why I was so trying not to have that surgery is because I was nursing my baby at the time. If I did that surgery, I would have had to wean because of the drugs from the anesthesia. And so I was really trying to hold on and trying to fix this somehow on my own. And I just didn't understand because I was doing everything that people say to do to be healthy. I already wasn't eating sugar or grains or seed oils or some of the kind of more widely accepted, like unhealthy things. Um, I was making all my stuff from scratch with quality olive oils and organic vegetables and things. And there came a point where I I don't even know how I found this, but I I was on YouTube and I I clicked on a video about carnivore. um, And I watched this video and it seemed completely insane, but it also kind of made sense. And so I decided that I was going to give carnivore a try very kind of suddenly and spontaneously. And within three days, my bleeding was gone. This was bleeding that had been going on for over a year and kind of really severely for six months. Um, So that was gone. And along with that, like I, I, my whole life, I've had really bad acid reflux. I have had a colonoscopy endoscopy. I've taken all sorts of medication. And it was just something that I had improved by, um, making my own food from scratch. I've been doing that my entire adult life, basically since college. Cause I, it was really bad. I was throwing up a lot and, um, causing some serious damage to my gut tissue. Um, 
but it was just gone, like gone along with gas constipation, like all these things that I have struggled with for as long as I've known disappeared. And it, that was kind of the cognitive dissonance. I'm like, this is, this is just what, (laughs) what is happening? And then two weeks in, um, I fell off the wagon, not really, it's kind of an accident, but I went to a birthday party and I couldn't resist the cake and the pizza and stuff. And the bleeding started again immediately. And I just decided I'm going to double down on this. I'm going to do carnivore for at least a couple months. And the healing and the health that I got from those two months was, I just could have never dreamed of health like that. Um, I always say that I think a lot of people don't actually know what being healthy really feels like. Um, I grew up eating junk food. I mean, how would so many of us are just used to these modern foods? We don't really know. Um, I think that something like carnivore, I've kind of learned from my reading, my research that it kind of restores our body to like kind of the factory setting that we were meant to have. But this health was so incredible that it basically made me look at my life and change my life to fit around this. I was a very successful food blogger, brand ambassador. I did a lot of video work and things in the world of food. Um, it was my life. It was literally my career. And part of why is my career is because I loved food that much. It was my best friend, like my emotional fix, stressed, bored, anything that answers always food. I just loved foods. I've been a foodie forever. And carnivore was that good. The health is that good that I have picked apart those pieces. I now, and it's been the most beautiful journey because carnivore has healed my body, but what might, might possibly be better is that I think before a lot of people do this, you know, this stress eating, I did a lot of that. Um, now when I'm stressed, I don't turn to ice cream. Like I've actually figured out what it's like to face those emotions. And my life has improved so much because of that. I think there's a lot of buffering and numbing going on and people do that, you know, of course with alcohol drugs, but food is one of those things. And food addiction is actually a real phenomenon. It's shown in MRI scans of the brain. And I definitely had that. Um, a lot of people do and kind of don't really realize it, but, um, so carnivore, that's kind of the beginning of my story is it's just been this really beautiful transformation of my health and also a little bit more beyond that. And I just, I love it. When I think of carnivore, I think of these um, prominent figures, you know, uh, Mark Bell, um, I'm sure you know Mark Bell is, and Dr. Sean mm-hmm. Baker, these these kind of masculine men. Do you follow, uh, I, I've, I've mentioned this guy like our past four podcasts, but do you follow the Liver King on Instagram? No, oh my but God. I like that name. The, so you need to check him <laughs> out. I'll, I'll send him to you, okay. but um, it's the Liver King and he's he's big on these uh, ancestral traits and he eats liver for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because liver is king and he's always says that in his videos. But when I think about meat eaters, I think about those kind of people. So it's very unique talking to a female who only eats mm. meat and is thriving off of it because that's not what you you think about. I don't, I don't ever really, you know, think of a female just being carnivore. That's funny. Um, and what other changes did you see whenever, uh, you started, you, you mentioned the bleeding, but what other visible changes could you see that, uh, through the transformation? This podcast episode is brought to you by BCN supplements. Mike and I have teamed up with BCN and we're so excited about it. Now, if you're new to the fitness world or you're just starting to get in, BCN has legitimately everything you're looking for, whether you want healthier hair, skin, um, nails, if you want to get a good pre-workout drink, or if you want a vitamin, BCN has what you need. One of their products I love is their collagen mix. 
It's legitimately so easy to use. I know what you're thinking, why is a guy taking collagen? But it helps with everything, muscle recovery, muscle mass. It helps with your hair, skin elasticity, and you can take it with anything. You can put it in water. You can put it in pancake mix. I take protein pancake mix, so I like to use it in that. Or you can put it in coffee or if you're on the go. Um, just one scoop is all you need, and you're going to help your hair, your skin, muscle mass, muscle, your joints, everything. Head to bcnsups.com to place your order today and be sure to use CWJM to receive a whopping 10% off your next purchase. And be sure to check them out on Instagram at BCN Supplements. BCN Supplements, helping build a better you from the inside out. I have so many things. Um, I have a list of like 30 things, no joke. I'll just touch on a few. I guess to kind of tie your two questions together. Um, one of the things that's really helped is I had a condition called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, it's very actually pretty common among women. Um, there are issues that women have with fertility and painful menstruation and cramps and bleeding and all that stuff. My menstruation has become more regular, lighter, less painful. Um, some of my PCOS symptoms have reduced. You have things like um, kind of like facial hair. It's, it's kind of a, an imbalance of um, the hormones, you can have excess testosterone. It can just, it's not very, um, as it should be the factory setting, let's say. Um, so that's something that just vastly improved for me. There's been times when I've fallen off the wagon during carnivore and I will be back in bed because my menstruation cramps are so bad. And it's like, uh, like I can, I can just feel so many things. And that's just one of many. Um, and you know, it's interesting because a lot of women, I think are afraid of meat. You think, oh, let's eat salad. Let's all order the salad at the restaurant. If you don't out like order the salad, you're like the weirdo. Um, but I always <laughs> meat makes women more womanly <laughs> or womanly. Um, literally, like it it heals fertility issues and it helps you drop weight. I mean, there's just so many things about it. Hormone balance. Um, I mean, meat is just great for for men and women, all humans. Um, but some of the other things, this was so weird early on in carnivore. I have always had really bad gum problems. Um, I have very severe gum recession for my age, like bone loss, um, really bad gum bleeding. Um, it was, gosh, I'd have to go in for these really expensive, like hour long scalings for like each quadrant of my mouth. And I just didn't understand because I am very type a, I brush my teeth twice a day. I always diligently floss using the water pick. All these things just could never figure it out. It's just like, oh, I just have this horrible gum disease. Two months after carnivore, I went to the dentist and she's like, what, what are you doing? Because like the, the screen was just full of all these green arrows that all of my gum pockets had kind of improved. Mm. Um, there's like a one through five. They like rate, they take like a pick and put it in your gum pocket and see like how open it is. They had closed. She said she could literally see that my old disease gum tissue had rolled away. She'd like scraped it away. There was no bleeding, like all of that gone. And it's so interesting because that's first another thing that's very common with carnivore. I think a lot of times, one thing that I learned is I had this and a lot of people have this as well, where you think, oh, like this, this health condition I have, I'm just kind of stuck with this. There's nothing I can do about it. No one could figure it out. I had already tried all the things, but it turned out that removing the foods, like kind of the root cause solution was to remove plant foods. Um, and what's so interesting is there are certain foods I will eat nightshades or chocolate my gums are in such agony that mm. I can barely function. Um, and it's so weird because, you know, I used to eat these things all the time 
And I didn't notice. Whereas now that I have a different baseline of health, if I have a couple spoonfuls of tomato sauce, I will be in agony the rest of the day. And I didn't notice that because my gums were unhealthy. They were always bleeding. (laughs) Um, They're always inflamed. So it's sort of interesting. I really was shown what a big impact um, the food you eat has on your body. Do you venture off the the reservoir every now and then? Like if you're, if there's candy in the house, Halloween, do you ever go off base or are you strictly now just carnivore? Yeah. So I talk a lot about this on my podcast. It's, it's definitely changed over time. I just released an episode where I sort of, I realized this past Christmas that I don't even want to deviate from carnivore for Christmas anymore. Um, and it's not that I never eat carnivore, carnivore foods. Like I just, I said like, you know, if I go to Greece, I might have some baklava wall in there, but what I do, I don't necessarily go looking for it. Like a situation has to be compelling. And whenever I make the decision to eat something off plan, I have kind of fallen off the wagon slash like tested things enough that I know what the consequences are of eating something. So if I'm going to make the decision to eat something, I consider what the entire package deal with the entire experience is. like, Hmm, like uh, this cake looks really good, but I'm probably going to get diarrhea. I'm going to be really inflamed the next day. Um, my heart's going to be pounding. I'm not going to sleep as well. Like I kind of know what each food does to me, like the tomato sauce, for example. So I kind of weigh it from there. Um, something that I, harp on a lot in my teachings and my podcast is the idea of freedom. I can eat pizza every meal, like every day for the rest of my life. If I want to, it's just that I have learned that I don't want the consequences that come with that. And so I can eat these things. You know, a lot of food comes across (laughs) my path. You know, we're in this crazy food environment, all of us. Um, And that's the only way that it doesn't really trigger me is because I think, well, let, let me be honest about what the experience is. And the health and carnivore is so good that I usually pass. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so you, you seem like a woman that really does a research and, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I bet you have, so I bet you get this question a lot uh, from like a biological standpoint, comparing like humans to carnivores, the whole digestive system question and teeth and, and what we should really eat. How do you explain that portion of that with the ideology of uh, car- carnivore? Like the fact that like carnivores don't really match with humans uh, and the omnivores match more. Like h- how do you get that wrapped around your head with uh, as far as the ideology uh, aspect of that? Mike's a vegan, by the way. We just want to point that out real quick. <laughs> uh, but I'm not attacking. I want to. I just want. You. No, I want to know how uh, you you think about that. Yeah. Well, so I was honestly very fascinated a little bit reading in between the lines of how you're saying that, because it seemed like you were framing that question as if something about our physiology suggests that we are not carnivores and everything that I understand it, it's the opposite. Um, for 2 million years, humans ate primarily fatty meat and little else it is in our history. And there's our gut shortened as we stopped eating plant foods and we ate these better tolerated meats and animal foods. Um, our brains grew tremendously. And then around 10,000 years ago, when we started kind of the farming practices, the agricultural practices and introducing grains, they started to shrink a little bit. Um, I, there's, and I mean, there's so many populations around the world that, that only eat animal products still. It's if, if anything is in our history, it is almost exclusively animal foods. 
Um, and a lot of the foods, like pretty much most of the foods that surround us right now, particularly a lot of the cooking fats, the seed oils that we're using, no one ate these things before a hundred years ago. If you think about like how long it takes for us to evolve, it just, these things are very, very new compounds. And I even just did like a, um, an episode, a deep dive on wheat and how there are compounds that are completely novel in wheat that didn't exist even a few decades ago. And there was this belief that, you know, celiac disease, for example, that it must have always been there and we just didn't notice. But what they actually found out is, no, there actually really are skyrocketing cases of celiac because of these new, these proteins that are being created where there are certain compounds that are in neither parent plant. Um, there's this assumption that if you take two things that are like, you know, quote unquote, safe to eat and you breed them, then what comes from that is safe. And they're finding that there's actually novel, unique compounds coming out of that, that our bodies just do not recognize. And a fundamental about plants versus animal foods is that if you dig into botanical science at all, like the takeaway, the, the plant world and the animal world, they're in this, this constant arms race where animals defend themselves by running away or clawing your face off or hiding various things. Plants defend themselves with compounds. They deter um, insects like beetles, us animals from eating them by creating these compounds. And 99.99% of pesticides that are used like for farming are just natural compounds that like defense compounds that plants make. And there are so many gosh, there are just thousands of these compounds. I think that people tolerate them in different amounts and each one affects like different parts of the body. But one of the most fascinating things that I learned about medicine, for instance, the, the most early, like primitive types of medicine that we use, like aspirin, for example, it, that was kind of derived from the tree of the willow bark or the bark of the willow tree. I mean, and like it basically messes with our temperature regulation. And we choose to have something like that to reduce our fever when that is that is an effect we want. We want to lower our body temperature. That's the effect of that plant compound. We kind of use it to our advantage. But if you kind of expand upon that idea a little bit, there are various things like soy is sort of known to mess with our reproductive systems, not just us, like animals as well. Um, there's some interesting studies done, I think with like cheetahs or some kind of... Um, animal with like tumors and things that resulting from soy consumption. Um, gluten is, is, is a plant toxin. Like that's sort of like a more mainstream one. Um, that is an example of like a plant compound that damages the gut. Um, there are so many different things like kidney stones, for example, those are clumps of something called oxalates that are in a lot of different, um, actually, if you've ever known anyone who like has gone to the hospital to have like a kidney stone removed, They'll almost always be sent home with like a list of vegetables that they're not supposed to eat anymore, like Brussels sprouts and all these high yeah. oxalate foods, spinach, um, that like basically these microscopic needles kind of form into these clumps. And then you try to pass them, um, through your body. There's all sorts of little things that, yeah, I just, it, it can make your head spin, but fundamentally there are plant compounds that harm the body in different ways. And animals do not have that because they don't need them. Yeah. Aren't the oxalates caused by cooking the vegetables though? Not that I know of. Okay. I'd, be, I'd be interested to. This is all interesting because you... he started researching a lot of carnivore and um, and talking about like the chemistry changes in the in the plants for predators and it's just mind blowing. This is the first time I'm I'm hearing this stuff, so it's uh it's all very interesting. I 
to tack back onto that question, um, so if if we evolved and our stomachs sh- shrank due to a- agriculture and all that, do you think it's safe to just go directly back to just eating meat since we've evolved so far? And do you think it's going to have long-term effects since our stomach isn't the same as how we were uh, back in the day? So it's not necessarily the stomach. It's more that like our, our colon has shrunk. If, if you think about like ruminant animals, for example, like um, cattle and bison and lamb, um, a lot of people say, you know, ca- they characterize it like they have these four stomachs. It's actually four chambers of the stomach, but they're, it's actually like bacteria that's kind of like digesting the food for them. It's kind of fermenting. Um, so those, those are ruminant animals, whereas we are monogastric. Um, we don't, that's kind of why like cattle can eat grass and we can't. Um, they can kind of ferment and there's, they're just different bacteria in their colons, just a whole different ball game. So it's, it's as we stopped eating plants and we started prioritizing, this is, you know, millions of years ago, we started prioritizing this really nutrient dense animal food, the need to do that kind of processing in the gut kind of was reduced. So that's why our, our colons shrank down. So not necessarily the stomach. Um, but I think it's so interesting because if you follow Sean Baker, you see that he's trying to get some more of these carnivore studies done. I think it's important to um, do those kinds of studies and there's very little done on diet, but I think it's safe from the judgment that I've done and my own experience. Um, I can't point to a study necessarily that says, yes, this is definitively safe, Um, but it's very much in our history and everything there's so much that I've understood about the nature of plants and about the nature of meat that this makes sense to me. And it really works in my body. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's one of the cool things is that people should become familiar with the science and I, everything in my podcast, I list all the show notes and studies so people can dig in. I very much say all the time, don't just take my word for it. Like do, you know, take in this research and also experiment. The really cool thing about carnivore is so many people who do it, they feel better from whatever issue they're trying to heal. Usually within a few days or a week, um, virtually everyone can, can get off diabetes medication if they want to. There's a lot of studies about that. Not, not necessarily with carnivore, but on low carb diets, which carnivore is that kind of diet. Um, I mean, I've just, there's so many people who have like reduced osteopenia and reduced like completely put various autoimmune diseases into remission. There's so many ways that it can heal the body and you can just try it and see. And I think what is kind of one of the biggest lessons that I've learned having really believed in this plant health narrative, and then, whoa, this meat thing really throws me off kilter is that how do you make sense of when like just there's so many statements made and they're in conflict with each other. How do you put that to rest? you do your best and kind of research and think like what here makes sense. But at the end of the day, you take it for a test drive yourself and you see how you feel. And I think that's a very beautiful, important thing is what do you think? What does your body tell you? Um, and I, Oh, believe me, I, <laughs> there've been points when I just tested a little bit of fruit here, like you tested some more benign things. My body is a clear. No, I remember I tried one day to have like, you know, an apple or something. I was buckled over in pain, gas, <laughs> really? acid reflux. And it's like, and from what I understand, like meat, meat is the most nutrient dense food there is. 
there's like from a nutrition perspective, there is no reason to have an apple over a steak. There just, there just isn't. Um, everything that you need is in meat. That's not true of plants. There are a lot of essential nutrients missing from plants. Um, and so it's like, why would I eat this apple unless I'm really enjoying it? And I, my body does not enjoy it. So that's why I stick with this. That's great. Um, one more question, kind of like that. What would you say to people that, uh, um, first of all, I don't know if I caught it. How long have you been doing it? Um, it has been a year and a half of carnivore. And then for four years before that, I dabbled with iterations of whole 30 keto, paleo, AIP, kind of like carnivore adjacent stuff. So it wasn't a full leap from like standard American diet into carnivore, but fully carnivore for a year and a half. What would you say to the people that say that you're getting the effects of uh, a type of elimination diet to where you're limiting one thing and you're getting rid of a lot of things, but um, possibly not really trying finding the true mechanism of, of, you know, maybe long-term meat will, you'll start seeing effects again, but also you're at, you know what I'm saying? Mm -mm. Like, like, uh, like, mono like meal, yeah, like, when you mono meal something, if you just eat one of th one thing, your body starts to get used to it, and then you start seeing those effects go away. Yeah, but her body's able. It sounds like her body's like meat has all the nutrients that you need. No, I don't think you could. I, I guess you can. I know there's people that only eat fruit, like are fruititarians, and they only. But I think they're heavily supplementing, right? I assume. I'm not sure because yeah, there's people that do a lot of fruit, and then their ailments will go away for a long time, but. It's because you're eliminating a lot of other things, but I don't know. Are, are some of the things that you found um, through going carnivore, are there th some things that just trigger your symptoms or is it everything besides meat? Yeah. So two things, um, kind of what you said, you know, people, maybe they go to all fruit and they feel better. I really wonder in those cases, what were they eating before? Because if you're eliminating, even if you're going to like vegan diet and, and you were eating a standard American diet before, like, of course, th that's probably going to be better, at least in the short term. I think long term, I have some issues with that. Um, but there's so much, I think there can be an inclination to want to make it black and white. And food is just so, so nuanced. Um, and I'm not even necessarily saying that everyone needs to be a carnivore. I really don't believe that. I, 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 fundamentally, I believe that people should decide that for themselves and let their body tell them, because I, I think there's no greater authority than your own body and your own experience supplemented with research. Like I said, you got to do a little before, <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought on your question. Uh, so basically what are, are there any trigger foods that you know, is it everything that's not mm. meat or there's some things that you can supplement, like bring into and, and, and experience? Yeah. Um, so something the thing is from a tolerance standpoint, I can probably have little bits of certain fruits. Um, the thing that I don't like about that is I gain weight instantly. Um, it's, I, there's a statistic that 88% of adults in America are metabolically deranged by at least one biomarker. Um, I for sure am. I mean, I, holy moly, I don't even know what my insulin looks like. I mean, it's clearly very sensitive because if I have the littlest bits of carbs, I start storing fat. Um, and I would still consider myself a little bit overweight at this point. I have some visceral fat on my midsection still, but it's, I, I, there's just no reason to eat that fruit. Like from a tolerance perspective, like, I don't know, know if you've heard this idea, um, kind of a general standard for the plant world is there are certain 
types of plants that have more toxins than others. So something like a fruit, the plant is making that for an animal to consume and kind of spread the seed. Those tend to have less toxins in general, whereas things like seeds or things are parts that are really essential, like roots tend to have more toxins concentrated. Um, so like I said, sometimes people eat heavy meat, but they still eat some of these more tolerated plant foods. And that's great. I just, for me, my body gives me several kind of markers where that's a no. Like I mentioned, I had that list of like 30 things, like for just like an example, if I start eating carbs or sweets, like my tonsil stones come back, just like the most bizarre little Mm. things. So I kind of use those signals to, um, judge that a little bit, but I, there's, there's just no reason to eat it. It's, it's a little bit detrimental to my body. And from a nutrition standpoint, there's just no need. Meat has more nutrition every single time. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, one, one argument that gets presented by, uh, plant-based, uh, folks, whenever someone says, well, we used to eat that back in, you know, when, back in our primal days, they always come back with saying, yeah, well, they didn't have a life expectancy of ours nowadays. Um, mm. So what, what's your argument against that? She likes that one. Yeah, I, well, I like that yeah, one too. I, love, I, she I, lo- I, I saw her one. load a bullet. Like she was like, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Go so, ahead. Well, yeah. Well, what, how can help me ar- like arm me? So when I'm, I'm when I, when I. <laughs> tell me the right answers. Yeah, tell me the right answer. <laughs> that way I can tell other people that. <laughs> well, now I need to get, get a better answer. that's more polished, but. Um, so there's this guy named Dr. Uh, Anthony Chaffee. I think Anthony Chaffee MD is his Instagram. He's a podcast too, but he says that our life expectancy should be around 120 years. Um, like just because we're like not living as long as we maybe should be right now. Like, what is that a reflection of? We are very plant-based right now. Um, very like there's, not enough meat consumption in terms of consistency with what our physiology expects and kind of our evolutionary background. Um, I, I just, yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. Um, because a fundamental thing that I believe and that felt true for my life as well is that we have this explosion of modern diseases, like something like 60% of people have at least one chronic disease. Um, 54% diabetic or pre-diabetic. I said the 88% metabolically dysfunctional. There's all sorts of things that point to the fact that our population is very unhealthy and it's all very, very new. And what's also new in this time period has been veering away from animal fats and replacing them with these seed oils that our physiology just does not recognize at all. And there's so many studies about how damaging, like a lot of that, um, compositionally is there's a, there's a type of fat called linoleic acid, that it's just mind blowing how destructive that is to the body. Um, so yeah, I just, it, for people to kind of reduce that, that idea that somehow like meat is responsible for like the poor life expectancy. I just, I just don't even, Yeah, I don't, I don't know where to begin with that. That makes no sense to me. Well, I, I guess what I go back to is I think there was more, you know, they were getting killed by animals and they didn't have shelter back in those days. And they lived in, they truly lived in the wild there. I think they were being killed by, you know, the, the outside elements versus, you know, us where we're, you know, we're comfortable in our homes and we have, you know, medical, um, 
options to to go to versus living out in the wild like they did. So, yeah, I, I want to go ahead. Yeah, no, I want to get into um, olive oil and and the oils because I think it's episode twelve and thirteen on your podcast. I've listened to them probably seven or eight times already. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, he gets he gets really into stuff. So yeah, I I obsess. My wife is uh, truly annoyed. I I walk around the house saying. Uh, L- 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 I can't even say it now. Try it. I'm, You've been li- practicing all this time. Lil, lil, how do you say it? The acid? Linoleic acid. Linoleic acid. Thank Maybe you. I've had too much coffee today or something. Yeah. But <laughs> um, can you dive into that real quick? Um, specifically around olive oil. I think it's broadly known that canola oil and all that stuff is bad for you. But there's a wide assumption about uh, olive oil and extra virgin olive oil being good. But... I think that's not always the case and listening not only to your podcast, but, you know, reading other studies. Can you dive into that? Yeah. Olive oil is is so fun (laughs) because gosh, I would just guzzle that stuff. I thought it was the healthiest thing. That's what we hear. Um, All the Mediterranean diet stuff, olive oil is so healthy. Um, And there was a book. I talk about this on those podcast episodes by Nina Teicholz called The Big Fat Surprise it is like a monstrous, like 400 page book that really dives into the history and nitty gritty of this. But the whole notion that olive oil is healthy, that is just the result of a brilliantly carried out marketing campaign. Um, And you can kind of read about the shenanigans that went into that. Um, But I will say point blank that olive oil is not healthier than butter. It's not healthier than beef fat tallow. Um, It's just not. And even just from a health perspective, in terms of losing weight, butter's way better. Mm. Um, so I would recommend listening to those episodes for like the nuances of the story, but there are basically a lot of, um, fancy press trips and things where you were expected to write very positive things about olive oil. A lot of the studies that claim to like claim that olive oil is healthy, (laughs) it's just laughable. It's not science. Like they, there's certain things like in one of the studies, kind of the, the, one of the biggest that people cite, they didn't even measure the amount of olive oil consumed. Um, they just guessed what people might've cooked with based on the dishes. Like there was nothing measured or scientific about it. It's just, it's just absurd. Um, and like compositionally, like I, I wouldn't say that if people want to cook with olive oil, I don't necessarily think that's a horrible thing. Um, it's a, it's an improvement certainly over the seed oils, but butter tallow, um, like a good lard from a pastured pork lamb fat, like those are all so much better than olive oil from a health perspective. Um, so I don't know if that, no, that does. What's scary. What's scary is that those oils are in everything we eat and it's, Mm -hmm. you don't realize that you think you're doing good by, you know, getting food, at Whole Foods or um, or not buying that oil, but then come to find out some of that olive oil even is mixed in with canola oil or it, it, it may oh, yeah. say olive oil, but it's really, you know, 50-50. And that's yes. like, how can someone even go about finding the right olive oil? I don't even know. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you'd say the safest uh, oil, though, would be like by extra virgin olive oil if you were to have to do an oil? Yeah. And so here's the problem with that too, kind of what John was just talking about is that there are so, so, so many studies where they have found that avocado oils, olive oils, 
like they can claim that they're extra virgin. They so rarely are. A lot of times they're oxidized. A lot of times they're just a lie. They're cut with tons of seed oil. Um, even what was so interesting is some of these studies found that even like the most like top dollar artisanal olive oils and the most beautiful bottles would still be oxidized or like cut with seed oil. It's, it's like, what do you trust there? Um, can you, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you talk about what oxidized means for folks that maybe don't know what that is? So that's just rancid. Okay. Um, if you like, so something like a seed oil, like canola oil, canola oil, soybean oil, or all of those, um, I guess I talk about this in my episode, but so there are saturated fats, which are kind of the animal fats. There are, um, polyunsaturated fats. Those are the seed oils. And then monounsaturated fats are kind of like the in-between, like the avocado oil, macadamia oil, the more saturated something is the more stable it is. So something like a beef tallow, part of why it's so much better to fry with something like that. And why it's so, um, destructive to fry with something like soybean oil is that the soybean oil, it cannot tolerate heat like that. It actually can't, it's so unstable that it can't even really tolerate being on the shelf. Like kind of a rule of thumb is that if you go and if you pick up a brand new bottle of canola oil from the shelf, it's already oxidized. Like it just, it's already rancid. Mm. Um, and if you're putting that in your body, like you're just going to have an explosion of free radicals and just damage done. And in general, oxidized foods are are just a thing that you want to stay away from. Um, you, you so. know, you made me think, um, about how I feed my kids when I go to restaurants, because at the house, you know, we're, 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 we're pretty, I would say we're well above average when it comes to eating. Even before I dived off into carnivore, it was, it was, you know, I would say probably uh, paleo ish for my kids with more fruit. But when we go to restaurants, it's so easy just to get the chicken nuggets and fries. And before I dived off into the seed oil, you know, I didn't know. I, it was just easy to get that. But you made me double think. Holy crap! I'm I'm slowly killing my kids by Jeez. feeding them this shit. It's yeah. you know, it's, well, it's think about it that way. Yeah, it's the, scary. The uh, we had the carnivore MD on, right? Yeah, carnivore uh, Lisa, Doctor Lisa Weidman. Do you know who yeah. she is? And carnivore uh, doctor. Yeah, yeah carnivore, carnivore doctor. doctor. Yeah. And she um she's the ophthalmologist or whatever. Uh, she she uh mentioned this thing that. Uh, uh, these oils in our cells have like a five-year half-life mm. and it just blows my mind. So it stays in your cells. So like, and you're continually eating this. So, I mean, yeah, you know what, you know, it never comes out then basically, right? It, you, it can. Something that's interesting as an anecdote that I'll throw in is with my first pregnancy, I had a condition called cholestasis. Um, it's actually a very, like a very much a rising condition, you have like an issue with bile acids in your liver. And it's basically accepted that if you get cholestasis for one pregnancy, you're, you're always going to get it. That they don't really understand why it's happening. And your the rate of recurrence is very high. Um, kind of after that, that birth, that first pregnancy, I started learning about seed oils from people like Marxists. And this is long before carnivore. I started realizing some of the health damage from it. And I started cutting them out. Um, and I had been eating out at restaurants. I lived in New York city at the time. So I was just Mm. eating out every day. So that was a big change. My second pregnancy was, um, three years later. And I, I I kept waiting for the cholestasis to come. It never came. I had no complications whatsoever and understanding what I do like now about 
the liver and these oils. I am as sure as I can be that it's because I cut those out and I hopefully will get pregnant at least one more time, maybe a couple more times. And it'll be very fascinating to see if the cholestasis ever returns. Um, but I think that there are so many ways that these oils are damaging to physiology can show up in so many different ways. But I do think that by the time I had my second pregnancy, that most of it was out of me. I don't know if it's, there's probably still some. And to be honest, very occasionally I will go out to eat. And even if I get a steak, a lot of times they're frying it in that oil. I try my best. I'm probably getting little, little amounts here and there. Um, but if you make a point to avoid it, it's, that will be a very good thing. Even if you don't do carnivore, just avoiding these seed oils. And there's a lot of initiatives arising, trying to get restaurants and places to stop cooking with these things. Because I mean, John, you said something about like, you're killing your kids. My husband and I seriously view them like say, we would rather give our children cigarettes than French fries from a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And actually like, I, we don't want to do either. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) They're smoking (laughs) in the background. (laughs) Hey mom, where's my food at? (laughs) Where's my steak? (laughs) Our kids know though, that like, I, I will make them French fries at home with beef tallow. I am happy to do that. Like they're, it's not that they can never eat French fries. It's just that oil. There are so many aldehydes and compounds in them that uh, just listen to my episode in the podcast, but cause it's long, but it is, it is terrifying and people just don't know how damaging it is. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so you've been doing this diet for, you said a year and a half, right? Yeah. Have you checked your, your blood levels and your cholesterol levels? prior to starting and, and going into 12 months, what do those look like? Yeah. So, um, to be honest, my blood work has always been pretty normal. So I can't point to anything and be like, Oh, look, I had this great change, but I guess the good thing is that everything has stayed normal and in good ranges. Um, I recently started seeing like a carnivore doctor, Dr. Robert Siwes. Um, so I just did a round of blood work with him. Um, I actually haven't, we haven't talked about that yet, but, um, I have had blood work in pretty frequent intervals. Um, and I don't know, it's all good. I feel good. So I'm happy with it. (laughs) That's good. What, um, just so the listeners know and the viewers, um, what I know it's meat, you eat meat, but you eat all meat, you eat beef, chicken, seafood. Do you do eggs and cheese or like what, how far does that branch out? Like what's a typical meal and what do you allow in? Yeah. So yeah, it's funny because carnivore seems so like narrow, but there's also like a lot of nuance to how you can do it. Um, I basically eat meat, seafood, seafood and eggs. Um, my husband tolerates dairy. Great. So he eats dairy. I don't tolerate dairy. Sadly. Um, sometimes when people eliminate gluten, they can start tolerating dairy as the villi grow back. But I, I don't know, for some reason, I just don't tolerate dairy well still. Um, And I would say that I eat primarily red meat, beef. The reason being, I I noticed before I found this study, but I noticed that I would get a feeling of satiety from ruminant animals like beef, bison, and lamb that I would not get with chicken or pork, even though I like chicken and pork. um, I just wouldn't feel like really satisfied. And then I later learned, I have a paper on this. um, There are specific fat compounds in those ruminant animals that your gut detects. It's kind of like a chemical satiety and feeling of satisfaction. Um, they're also very much nutritionally superior, um, compared to, uh, the pork and the chicken. Unfortunately, 
Um, the way that pork, much of the pork and chicken is raised in America, they are fed these garbage seed oils. And because they are monogastric animals, they like basically what you feed them, that's, that's what their fat ends up like. And it's so interesting because I've actually, you can see the difference. If you get just any run of the mill bacon from the grocery store, and then you get like a kind of a, um, like a more of a pasture raised pork, like the, and compare the fat, it is so different. Mm. The like kind of pastured pork, the fat is almost like crunchy or like cucumber. Like it's just way more firm. Um, cause it doesn't have all those seed oils in there. Whereas the kind of the mass produced pork, I mean, it's practically melting. Like even just <laughs> you take it out of the fridge, um, just completely different product. And it's because of how it's raised. You don't deal with that as much with, um, with something like, uh, beef because just the way that it converts those fats and the thing about grass fed versus conventionals, uh, conventional cattle, like grain fed, they're actually grass fed almost their entire life as well. They're just kind of fattened up at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. not much difference. I didn't really ask the last carnivore, uh, guest, but how do you, w- with your research, how do you, uh, actually prepare the steak? Is it, do you, are you more on the rare side or do you cook the hell out of it? What's the healthiest way to consume it? Yeah. So as a general property of cooking, um, heat destroys nutrients. Um, there's some kind of like nuances with that, with vegetables where you actually might absorb more nutrients because you're destroying some of the anti-nutrients like earlier talking about, ac- uh, about oxalates with like cooking. That's not something that, that cooking changes, but something like lectins, for instance, you can kind of cook some of that out or transform it. Um, but I personally, I kind of prioritize deliciousness. <laughs> I like my steak rare. Um, there are a lot of people who eat raw meat. Um, I love like steak tartare. I actually, there's this guy, raw meat experiment. I was watching a little too much of that lately. And yes. I was like, I'm getting a hankering for raw beef. <laughs> and so I made some steak tartare just because it's yummy and I haven't had it, you know, for a long time. How do you, and what's how so do you weird, you basically just chop up like um, raw beef. You could do top sirloin or even filet. I honestly couldn't really tell much difference. Okay. Sirloin's way cheaper. Um, and you can toss it in all sorts of things. Like some, sometimes people do like a mustard cornichon type thing. I didn't really do anything too fancy. Put an egg yolk on top. It's basically just like a finely chopped raw beef. Um, and I messaged him because I was like, you know, I was just eating it because I was, I had got this craving, but I had this weird euphoric high afterward that I wasn't expecting and it wasn't in my head. So I'm like, is there something to this raw meat thing? I I don't, I don't actually know. That's not scientific at all. Could, could still be made up in my head, but very interesting. (laughs) Could have been the edible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the process, you know, about when you, when you, uh, when you kill an animal to make sure that there's no, I don't know, pathogens, something in the meat, like worms, parasites, stuff like that. What is that process that, that they go through before it actually, they actually send it to the stores? I don't know. <laughs> they cl- have to clean the meat, right? Yeah, you clean it, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, though. Well, I mean, there's some videos I, I see that like sometimes their meat still has like parasites and worms and stuff in it. Yeah. Is there any worry about like like that whenever you're consuming a lot of meat? Not for me. I don't know about have you. Have you read anything about that? Yeah. I mean, not for how I'm cooking it. Um, I think when you're going to eat it all raw, yeah, that is of concern. I think that's part of why like this raw experiment guy, (laughs) raw meat experiment guy, people are like, oh my gosh, you're going to die because he's eating like raw chicken and stuff. 
So far, he's fine. He's like almost 100 <laughs> days in. I don't know. I, I'm days. not going to eat raw chicken. Not, I'm not going to eat raw chicken, to be honest. Um, but for example, like I, from what I understand, like the E. coli thing, like that comes from when they accidentally sever the gut and then that gets over the meat. So I think if it's properly butchered, that's not an issue. But I mean, it's probably bound to happen just by, you know, yeah. numbers game. I think it comes down more to what your source is. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think you're talking, are you talking about more of like wild that's pro- game? That's probably it. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you have to do something to it in order to package it up and bring it back. Yeah, like, I know, know some, just, uh, like some butchers, my family, um, they they have their own cattle ranch, so I, I'm lucky enough to get, uh, hmm. you know, grass-fed cows and stuff like that. And wow. there's some butchers that they take it to that won't cut the spine or won't cut bone because... If you cut bone or get near rib cages or something like that, there's there's oils or toxins in in the bone, so they won't they'll stay away from bone. Um, but also, like uh, if you're going hunting and stuff, I think there's more in like wild game. I know when we kill pigs, there's sometimes these glands near their legs that you want to stay away from. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just got to cut it away, or sometimes depending on what it looks like, you just throw that leg away. Um, but. Do you do uh, like the bone marrow and stuff like that too? Mm, very rarely. I have. Um, I don't really love any of the stuff that goes into organ realm. Um, like you're talking about the liver king. Yeah. Like I, if he's really eating that much liver, I do have concerns. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause there's, there's a little bit, I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but there's a little bit of debate in the carnivore community about how, how much organ meat you should be eating. Um, There's certain people who are like, yes, like pound the liver, but there can also be risk of um, vitamin A poisoning, hypervitaminosis. Um, And there's a lot of people who, like I think Anthony Chaffee, for example, that MDA mentioned, I think he's been doing carnivore for over 10 years, just doing primarily muscle meat. And Kelly Hogan, like I think 12 12 or 13 years, also basically just muscle meat. Um, I am not sure that, that stuff's really necessary. And I don't really love the taste of bone marrow. <laughs> so I don't necessarily <laughs> like, try to make myself eat it. Um, but it's, it's a very beautiful, healthy thing. If you love it. How has your, your family adjusted to this lifestyle um, with raising kids and your husband? Do you think you're crazy? Uh, are they supportive? Or are they all on board with it? Well, I'll tell you when my husband thought I was crazy is four years before carnivore when I asked him if he'd do Whole30 with me. (laughs) Um, For people who aren't familiar, that's like a 30-day elimination diet where you're basically eating meat and animal foods plus like fruits, vegetables, like nuts. Um, He, like I remember partway through, he was like, what is life without sugar? Is is, is life without sugar worth living? Like he was very much (laughs) like, you know, into... um, those delicious foods and the cookies, just like I was. Um, So that was hard for him. But then once we started bringing the foods and we're like, whoa, like we actually don't tolerate a lot of these things very well. And we watched our health, her health change. Um, He started getting a little bit on board. And at this point, I mean, he's, my husband is not, well, actually right now he's fully carnivore, but he's not necessarily fully carnivore all the time. He'll eat things like meat. He eats dairy that I don't eat. Um, he can tolerate that stuff a little bit better than I can. Mm. Um, and then my kids are very meat heavy. Like there are certain meals where it will just happen to be carnivore. Like they'll just eat some steak or some burger patties, but 
overall, they're not carnivore really. Um, they have fruit and like rice, for example, is like a more tolerated grain and seems to be okay with them. Um, they eat other things and, you know, occasionally if they go to a birthday party or something, they can have some cake, Yeah, but they're, um, definitely doing meat heavy. That's good. Yeah. That's what my kids are, are doing. My son doesn't, he, he tends to fight more with chicken and beef. Um, so I give him, I'm giving crap. I'm like, you've been hanging out with Mike too much. Giving him what? <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of kids that don't do meat for a long time. Well, he does now. He don't get up off his fucking table till he does. Yeah. <laughs> Your kids like fruit a lot though. Yeah. I feed my kids. I, so I did the, the world carnivore month where I only hmm. ate meat in January. And I noticed like the last week I just felt, I didn't feel as good as I did the first two weeks. And then I heard, um, the knees over toes guy. Uh, talk about how he eats. Um, no, it wasn't either a guy. It was a carnivore MD. Um, what's his name? God dang Paul it. Saladino. Yeah, Paul Saladino. I heard him talk about how he and started incorporated fruit. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing. I'm doing mostly meat and fruit, and I feel pretty amazing. Another thing I wanted to ask you that I I know you talked about on your podcast. Um, it's very controversial because the carnivore diet and how many, like how the cows are, are bad for the environment, how eating meat. I see so many studies. I, 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 um, I read Reddit a lot and there's always a study saying eat less meat, more plants to save the environment. Um, it's, uh. it's so I like, I like reading them. I like to see what, what, you know, what the other side is saying, but can you talk about that? Like the, the benefits of, of cows, but there's also the flip side of the mass production. Of the factory farm. The factory farming is also, I'm assuming, I don't agree with factory farming. But can you talk about that? Like why we need cows, why they're good? I'm so glad you mentioned this because I was just thinking Uh-oh. about, oh, can we approach this topic? And you you went there. Oh, she, she, went, <laughs> <laughs> she has the bullet okay. ready for this one. Well, see, I get frustrated because there are so many things like just statements that people make and repeat about meat versus plants that they clearly have not looked at the full picture. Um, Like, for example, like I was on a podcast recently and um, someone was challenging me with this idea, like, what about, you know, the fact that meat causes cancer? And I was like, what study, like, can you show me, like, literally send me the study that like proves that because there is actually no controlled study that shows any link between meat and cancer where that came from. There was this, um, report. And what's so amazing is that there was a follow-on report, like five years or something later, where they basically backtracked on that and admitted that it, it wasn't like, it was such a ridiculous claim to make, but it just sticks around forever. People latch on it. Like meat causes cancer, but like, there's something like they made this conclusion and, and these studies, they're like epidemiological observational studies with like self-reported questionnaire data. And like the only one that showed like any sort of statistically significant connection was a seventh day Adventist group. They are very openly anti-meat, not just for members of their church. They are open about trying to push that agenda on the world. And they've had a huge influence on dietary guidelines in this country. One of the things has been kind of like the most fun avenue of gone down since carnivore is um, the history of food and how dietary guidelines, what's considered healthy has been so tampered and influenced literally changed before being like released to the public by these big ag groups and like religious groups um, based on 
like completely different things. Like the Seventh Day Adventist thing, how that started out early on, kind of in the nineteen like forties or so. I might have that off by a decade or two. Um, they were pushing like Kellogg's, for example, like Kellogg's cornflakes. This is not a joke. You can look this up. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kellogg had like Adventist upbringing and part of changing the diet, like away, away from meat and animal products to these like more like grain type things was to, um, steer humans away from like masturbation and sexual lust. Um, and it's like, well, I guess it probably does do that a little bit messes with your hormones anyway. Um, but there are all sorts of different ulterior motives that people have, uh, that influence, but so connecting that to the environmental piece, part of when I got to that place of my carnivore journey, where it's like, oh my gosh, this, how I can't, I don't want to stop doing this for my own integrity. And like, I didn't tell anyone about this for a while. Cause I'm kind of figuring this out in my personal life for my own integrity. I had to start looking into like, I believe that meat was bad for the environment. Cause that's what I heard repeatedly. And so I started digging into this, like, well, let me actually take a look at what these claims are. And I, I have an episode dedicated to the environmental piece of eating meat, every single environment that like environmental argument that people from plant-based like tend to share. I don't want to say it's an outright lie because you, you mentioned like the factory farming, like there are issues with how like some animals are raised, but like as a black and white statement, it is, it is false. Um, and it, what's been so fun for me is like, even I've had people like vegans email me and say, wow, like I had accepted all these things as true from the documentaries that I watched, but you actually prompted me to like, look at some of the studies you shared and like dig into this on my own. And I've realized these are actually not true. (laughs) Um, and I, if people, if people like, I don't, I honestly don't care if people want to eat plants. I really don't. But I think that people should look a little bit more at the things that they might be repeating or claiming, because I don't think people really have the full picture. And what's so fascinating about um, the environmental piece is animals are so essential for the environment. Um, So essential. There are so many different pieces that are misguided and false. And there's so many ways where kind of what the roads that we've gone down to like get away from those more natural, like animal fertilizers and go into synthetic stuff is so much more damaging. Um, there are so many incredible statistics. Like there is this one UN thing, I think maybe six years ago, six years or so, um, where she basically said that in 60 years, all of our like arable land will be gone. Like there's so much monocropping, like there's so much destruction of land, how we are farming. Um, one of the things that I love, and I think that's starting to gain momentum is regenerative agriculture, where there is kind of like a symbiotic relationship between animals and plants and the soil and kind of that's more similar to, um, it kind of works with nature a little bit more, but there's so many aspects, like, you know, the, the methane thing with cows, for example, like people harp on cattle for these like farts, which are actually not farts. It's technically burps. (laughs) (laughs) Not, Not that it makes a difference, but it's, it's a biogenic carbon cycle where the same methane is being cycled in this 12 year cycle back and forth. That is different from the methane that is released when we are digging up fossil fuels and releasing new methane into the air. And like, even the percentages, like I remember one of the things I talked about in that episode is there was some sort of 
statistic that like cattle, they're responsible for like 20% or something of the total um, emissions. And it was so off. And like, they corrected the statement and it's, it's something more like three, three percent. I don't remember what it was exactly, but they corrected this, this, like the scientists who claimed this corrected it and said, oh, like we did a full, we accounted for everything for like what cars, transportation industry is, but we didn't do that. Or sorry, no, it was, it was reverse. Yeah. It, it was not, it was an apples oranges comparison, like not the same. And they backtracked on it. And yet people still repeat this false statistic. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of dishonesty and lies in that whole conversation. And I won't say that there isn't there, there are problems with how cattle and animals are raised, but the solution is not, oh my gosh, the solution is not eliminating animals. There are so many ways where they're important for restoring the land. And another tip I'll throw in, I know I'm talking a lot is part of the regenerative agriculture is that cattle actually sequester carbon that's in the air into the soil. And it's actually proposed as one of the most viable solutions for dealing with the carbon that's in the atmosphere. Um, it's so nuanced. Yeah. I feel like I just talked a lot. But. No, you're good. No, we enjoy it. Mike and I are going to interview the owners uh, of Rome Ranch here in Texas. Um, mm. And a lot of their meats are, they do a collaboration with uh, forces of nature and they're big on regenerative farming. So I don't know if you've seen that meat. It's uh, well, they got yeah. bison and all kinds of stuff. So we're excited about that. One thing that was awesome. shocking about that study that you mentioned in your podcast was like you were saying, they were taken into account everything doing uh everything having to do with cattle so the tractors transporting the meat and they were comparing that to the transportation of cars but you said that they only accounted for what was coming out of the pipe of the cars they were uh, yes that they weren't actually taken into account of what it takes to provide the fuel you know fracking all this stuff they weren't taken but they were they were encompassing everything in ranching or the whole thing from a to b and they were only taken into account of what comes out of the pipe. And then, like you said, yes. they, they later retracted that stuff, but it was already too late. It's everyone knows that one, that first statistic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it's the life cycle analysis of the cow. And they just did what came come out of the tailpipe from the car. So it wasn't, that was not the apples to oranges comparison, but so thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> no. um, Sounds like the tailpipe of the cow too. <laughs> 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 He's a jokester. Sometimes I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about your, your, your family and friends? Um, so I, I'd expect your husband to be supportive and your kids to be on board. What do your family and friends think about this uh, journey you're on with uh, carnivore? Mm, I have had, well, let's see. People have seen the changes in my life and a lot of them have started eating more meat or gone carnivore as well. Wow. Um, so it's kind of a positive thing. I don't try to push it on anyone. Um, like I said, I really, I don't care if people eat plants. I just want part of why I do the work I do and bring a different side of the story is because I just want people to know, because I don't feel like the narrative and food, it's not full picture. It's all about the plants. And, um, I just want people to question things a little bit more. I think that's just a great life skill in general. And, oh man, is that necessary for, yeah. <laughs> for the food? Because, there, are, there is so much, there's a lot of muddiness. There's a lot of um, bias and unethical shenanigans that go into pretty much every aspect of food, everywhere you turn. Um, 
And I think people should, should question that a little bit more. I feel like I lost sight of your question. <laughs> no, no, I was just asking if your family and friends think you're, uh, you're crazy, your parents or your, Oh you know. yeah. So I think, I think at first maybe they're like, that's really weird, but <laughs> it kind of speaks for itself. And then they start trying it and they're like, wow, like my IBS symptoms have gotten better and gone away or just I've lost weight. My blood pressure has gone down. Um, it's kind of naturally people see it and then they try it. And then, I mean, they're on board to some degree, but yeah. I've never been like, Hey, you should go carnivore. It just sort of happened. Yeah. I think it kind of speaks for itself. You mentioned, um, that they started it and they started doing carnivore because of you. And I would think that was something visually. So did you lose a lot of weight, um, from doing this? Did you yeah, more? I am the leanest I've ever been in my adult life which is wild because I eat more calories and fat than ever before. <laughs> I've always struggled with my weight. Um, there were times I would, I would seriously eat 1200 calories a day, be running like five, six miles a day. It was very unhealthy. And I just could never figure out why. Like, I remember one time I went to, um, a dietitian. My dad made me go when I was young. I wrote down everything that I ate. Like she said, and she basically said I was lying and it's like, no, like, <laughs> this, is, this is really what I eat. And then I read this book by um, Gary Tobbs called The Case for Keto, where in like a scientific, like in a study setting, there are seriously people who, when they start introducing like four strawberries, they start gaining weight. And that probably is the result of some sort of prior metabolic derangement. Um, I don't think that carbs are necessarily bad or evil, but the fact that 88% of Americans are metabolically deranged by at least one biomarker, they're probably not going to work for mo most people. They don't work for me. Um, so yeah, I definitely, it's weird. I, my, my family was here over Christmas and we were digging through old pictures, just kind of an old memory. <laughs> and we came across this one picture of me and my brother's like, I can't believe that's you. <laughs> and I mean, my husband is like, I forgot that you looked like that. Like I, <laughs> wow. I could barely recognize myself. You could, um, you could threaten your husband and be like, hey, if you don't act up, if you don't act right, I'll leave your ass. <laughs> oh, he was, he was puffy and inflamed too. He's always been lean, but he like, it's just amazing how much, um, you can see, I can see the, the inflammation and puffiness. And yeah. I mean, obviously the, the excess fat too, and my previous self, and I can actually see it in other people. <laughs> I try not to talk about that. But, She's got like um, an x-ray vision. Yeah. Like, there's it, like, there's an inflamed puffiness. You, you can, you can see yeah, inflammation. I literally just told Mike the other day, looking at like vegans, you can see <laughs> the puffiness. They're puffy. He's, he's. They're puffy. He just got into this diet world. I've been experimenting for a long time and adult. Well, you know, like I'm the same way. I don't listen to what everybody says. I want to do my own experimenting. This fucker just got into this stuff. So he just <laughs> acts like he knows everything and I'm, shit. I'm, I'm all in though, but you could see when I, when I, and I don't, I'm not, I don't have a thing, uh, a bono against uh, vegans or anything. Bullshit. Um, I'm friends. I do, <laughs> I do a podcast with one. So I, I'm accepting to all kinds, but I feel like, um, most they're either really really skinny and pale or they eat a lot of processed vegan food and they're puffy looking they're like you said they're i literally use the same word with mike i said they just look puffy they're look inflamed a little bit i guess that's inflammation you look a little puffy those um, vegan foods are chemical yeah storm. the yeah. processed oh, stuff boy. is bad yeah. uh about how much weight did you lose though like i have no idea um did you think about 35 40 pounds are you kidding wow yeah. 
So, you you I look mean, small, so I just, I couldn't imagine 30 or 40 more pounds oh. on you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I didn't well, know if it was going to be like five amazing. pounds or something. <laughs> well, well, you know what's, it's, it's so liberating because I, gosh, since I was in seventh grade, I've, I was taking diet pills. I was writing down every calorie, counting macros, and now I am free from all those things. I am tied in with the satiety. I eat food that isn't super stimulating. It's tied in with the satiety signals in my gut. And I don't have to think or measure or anything. I just eat meat when I'm hungry. If I'm not hungry, I don't eat and I don't get cravings otherwise. So, well, that's the thing. You got past that point where the addiction's not in there anymore. And then meat, like just like with uh, fruit or vegetables that aren't like heavily seasoned, you know, when you're done, like if you eat yep. a bowl of carrots, you're going to stop when you're done. It's kind of the same as meat. You eat meat you're done. Like not going to eat anymore. You're not going to force yourself to, you know, finish something like a bag of Doritos or something. So I think that, yep. that has a lot to do with it too. You know, you're not, I think when you were on a, the standard American diet or whatever diet you were on, there's a lot of overeating, you know, to oh, where yeah. you're just Those, feel hor- If you don't feel horrible yet, you're not full, you know, yeah. like, so there's something <laughs> Those that foods are too. hijacking your dopamine. Your, your body does not know what on earth to do when you're eating those foods, it, you, they are controlling you. Your body does not know what's going on. Yeah. So do, do you think it's possible if, to live off uh, a plant-based diet long-term? Do you think that's healthy? No, no. If it's, if there are no animal products whatsoever, I, I really think that's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of see it if you look at those people and I, gosh, I, I don't want to shame anyone. I really don't. Um, I understand people like food is such a personal thing and we all have different values. Um, and I understand some of the reasoning that people have. I, I think vegetarian, if someone really like uh, the whole ethical argument for me, like if someone doesn't want to eat animals, like I understand, um, for me, like I feel ethically I'm good. I've made peace with, I've thought about it a lot. Um, I feel like some of that stuff is kind of a discomfort with the nature of death and just nature in general. I won't go go into that rabbit hole right now, but, um, there are so many nutrients that are only in animal foods that are not in plant foods and the just nutritionally, I don't know how you can get all the nutrients you need. Like one of the most (laughs) kind of like the, um, kind of like I felt like was, was like a lie when I found out is I give this example a lot in my podcast, my Instagram, but um, people say something like, oh, like half a cup of carrots has like, you know, 120% of your daily vitamin A. It's, it's not vitamin A. You convert 3% of it. Like plant vitamin A is not the same as animal vitamin A. Um, and so just across the board, the bioavailability of nutrients from plants, it's not the same like operating system, so to speak as plant food. Um, aside from the fact that literally there are just certain nutrients like heme iron and vitamin B and, um, I forgot all the names like taurine, carnosine, carnitine that are just not even in plants at all. DHA, which is really important for the brain. And if you want to be vegetarian, like you can have certain things like eggs and dairy that will really help, I think, but plants only, I think very few people sustain that long-term. And then you look at some of the people who have been doing that long-term, um, gosh, I feel like this is really, I don't, this is really mean. I shouldn't go there. Uh-oh. There's a, there's recently in the carnivore stuff circulating kind of, um, one of the most prominent vegan doctors in his birthday, mm. he does not look well. He wow. really doesn't. 
Um, a lot of premature aging and it's his decision. It's his life. I don't care what people eat, but yeah, it's kind of a visual picture of what I seem to understand from the research of nutrition. And like you yeah. said, there's, um, there's a lot of money back behind plant-based, uh, food and the lifestyle. There's a lot of prominent famous people who claim to be vegan, but they eat mm. burgers and they eat fish. Uh, I think, uh, Bill Gates is one of them. He, 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 he supports the plant-based <laughs> community and he, he promotes it, but he's like, Oh, I'll eat a burger every now and then. And it's widely known. He eats burgers and, uh, fish, <laughs> but he promotes this lifestyle. And there's a, there's a tons of people, James Cameron, and there's a bunch of people that, yeah. so it's just, if they're doing it too, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. I always laugh when I see like, <laughs> it's kind of mean too, but when like people, vegan influencers, someone like catches them on camera eating like some sort of animal food <laughs> <at a> <laughs> restaurant, <laughs> it's like, why are you lying about that? I almost feel like veganism in some senses has become like the latest way, like, like a virtue signaling or something, yeah. I guess because of the environmental piece, but that's why I don't like that. I feel like so many people have just adopted these beliefs and not actually looked into it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. Especially if people are going to say they're vegan, but they're not even really doing that. Like that's, I just think that's a damaging kind of dishonest thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. If especially they're going all in, but um, I tell John for the longest time, the hardest part of like doing something like this is holding yourself to it. Cause you've, you've created your whole image now, like for, you know, being carnivore and that it's not bad if you want to say, all right, I'm done with this and move on to the thing. Cause I was strictly vegan for a long time. And a couple episodes back, we, we kind of talked about, I'm not strict anymore. I don't, I'm not completely vegan. I, I do other things. He's a dead cow things. in his freezer back here. No. No, no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I think it's people change man over time. So it's, it, you can't hold someone, but now if they're still pushing it and then they're going and doing that thing, you know, doing the opposite, I think that's kind of bad. Yeah. I think we forgot to ask, uh, do you do, uh, how do you do coffee? I know it doesn't go against the, it doesn't go against, it doesn't go for the carnivore diet, but was it hard to give up coffee? Oh, everyone asked me about coffee. I've never been a coffee drinker. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I will say that in general, like there are a lot of carnivores who they just, they're not going to give up their coffee and that's fine. Um, but a lot of people give it up and feel a lot better. Um, it is a legume. There's a lot of mycotoxins and pesticides and just crazy things going on there. Um, my husband, it's so bizarre. So he was in the military. <laughs> so he, coffee is very much a part of his life. Um, if he actually now roasts his own beans that are, that come green, he'll roast them and kind of process it all from literally bean to the finished cup. Wow. And that seems to be okay. But if he has any sort of commercial coffee, like if, if we travel or whatever, oh my gosh, his gums are in such agony. He is, he cannot function kind of like me with the tomato sauce. He's just yeah. like the first time we went, it's like trip to Colorado. We like lost that day. Cause he was just like clutching his face and just in so much pain from the coffee. That's insane. It's so weird. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, Joanne, we'll go ahead and, uh, and, and wrap this up. We greatly, or I for sure greatly appreciate you, uh, you coming on the podcast. Can you, uh, you know, give your, your Instagram and your Facebook and your, your podcast so people can follow you. Yeah. So, um, the road to carnivore is my, uh, website name, my Instagram handle. Uh, it's the name of my podcast. It's on pretty much all of the podcast platforms. Um, 
So that, that's pretty much it. Just my Instagram podcast, my website, um, sharing the carnivore support and trying to um, teach people a little bit about this fuller picture look at, at meat and plants. <laughs> um, I'm kind of amazed, Mike, that you didn't come at me a little bit more. I was ready for it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not into that. We're very opposite, which we, and curious, which makes the podcast work. But although we have our differences, I admire you for taking your health in your hands when you're really going through some shit and Thank correcting you. that yourself and not listening to, cause I've been in that same boat with other things and seeing results and creating your own ideologies is really, is really nice. It's what people need to do. Um, so I admire you for doing that at least. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I like, I like the whole curiosity thing that you guys have. I think, gosh, the world would be a better place with so much more of that, more questioning and just learning and becoming curious instead of shutting these conversations down, you know, just, um, I'd be happy to talk to, talk to, you know, vegan any day. <laughs> um, I really, yeah, I like to understand all sides of, um, the picture. And I think I, there are reasons I, I get why people prefer plants. Um, but this is kind of what works for me and where I've, where I've come to in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been great. Maybe we'll do it again. I, I'm, do you have a book coming out or anything? Are you working on a book? I'm not working on a book. I'm actually, I shouldn't be telling you this. I'm working on a course on kind of how to do carnivore long-term without falling off the wagon and kind of that stuff I talked about earlier on, like sticking with it from a place of freedom. Um, I'm working on that right now, but kind of no detail, no more details. (laughs) That was a good tease. That was a good teaser. (laughs) Steamy. Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Hang on real quick. Um, We're going to take a little picture and stuff, but um, we had fun, Joanne. Thank you. I had fun too. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye.